Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I am so delighted that you are joining me in my kitchen today. We have just a, a wonderful guest. I cannot wait for you to meet Chef Brandon Baltzley, uh, known in the culinary circles as the Salvador Dali of cooking. And he has a book that has just come out called Nine Lives, A Chef's Journey from Chaos to Control. It's about food, addiction, and redemption in the kitchen. So it's it's a cautionary tale, but with fortunately a happy ending. And and I think too, listeners, as you know, we all typically gather around our, our kitchen tables and, and talk about important things. And 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 this is one that we really would need to talk about because I think it affects many of us on a personal level. That is drug addiction. Uh, many of us know family members or friends who struggle with this, or perhaps you might be struggling with this. And and I, I'm just so glad that Chef Brandon is reminding everyone that addiction is a disease. And, and you know, my brother, um, many of you may or may not know, what my one of my older brothers who passed away a few years ago, uh, for most of his life, he was a drug addict, and I know the personal havoc it can wreak on on lives and, and families, um, but I just want to encourage you, you can get through this, whatever the struggle is, and my brother, fortunately before his death, was able to miraculously uh, overcome drug addiction, and I'm just so honored that Chef Brandon Balsley is on our show today to share with us about his journey, but also, of course, we must talk about food and, and his great restaurant that's going to be opening and his wonderful um, uh, concept called uh, Crux, which is a culinary tour. So anyway, Chef Brandon, welcome to Kitchen Chat. Thanks for having me. Oh, it just truly is an honor, and, and congratulations on getting through drug addiction. It just sounds like it was a, a journey of despair. And and to put things in perspective, you were like one of the top um, chefs and sous chefs at, at all these nationally acclaimed, James Beard Award-winning restaurants, and un- unfortunately, just the drugs got a hold of you. Um, when when did this start? Uh, I think it really all started probably when I moved to Savannah for the first time uh, around the age of 19. Um, and I had started, you know, working in some kitchens there. And that's pretty much when, you know, I got introduced to uh, drugs that weren't marijuana or alcohol or things. That's when I started uh, seeing more Coke use in the kitchens and a lot of people uh, doing pills and things like that kind of just like get through the day. Right, right. And, you know, and I guess 
part of it, and I understand that, you know, in a lot of the kitchens, they're, because of the stress, because of the crazy time schedule and everything, that there, there is a lot of drug use that, that can occur um, in restaurants. I mean, just the pressure, the constant pressure to perform. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of pressure. I mean, it, at a lot of places, you know, you there's not really any tolerance for um, messing anything up. And, you know, you mess something up, everything is usually going to count. Like, a lot of times, you know, uh, take, for instance, Alinea, when you're working there, you know, you're going to do 80 people, so you have 80 things right. uh, prepped out for, you know. You know, a lot of your uh, dishes would have, like, you know, 20-plus components, so you had to have 80 of each one, and, and you knew what would happen if you messed up one thing. So the constant pressure to show up, show up in good spirits, ready to work hard, and for a very long, long time, you know, a short day is 12 hours. So wow, oh, that and that is huge, and 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 it's interesting because um, my niece, um, one of my nieces, her husband is the drummer of the band Lucky Boys Confusion, and his guitar player passed away last year after battling addiction to heroin and it's just um you know it's just so sad when someone can be on the top of you know of their talent but they succumb to this disease of drug addiction and unfortunately for many people it doesn't have a happy ending but you truly found uh redemption in the kitchen and and have the discipline to go through an effective rehab that that really helped. Can you tell us specifically how did rehab uh, intervene? I mean, or were there other people in your life that held an intervention? Uh, how did you get to the point where you are now, which is at a good place? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that uh, you know, I mean, I, I I successfully completed one rehab out of the, like you know the three that I went to throughout different times. Um, for me, rehab never really did the trick. Uh, and, you know, I, um, pretty much when I decided to get clean and sober, about two years ago when I was, uh, when everything happened down at Tribute, I, uh, you know, I went into rehab, it didn't work, I came out a couple days later, and I just started going to meetings, and, you know, there was, you know, I had, I had a lot of people around me that wanted to see me do well, Mm -hmm. so I had good influences, and things like that, and it pretty much got me through the entire rest of my time in Chicago. Oh, that's good. So I guess if, if, you know, we're sitting around the kitchen table here with family and friends, and as a former, you know, drug addict, what advice would you give to um, another family and, and friends about how it best, and I know each situation is unique and individual, but but is there, what what can others do, you know, to help in, in a positive way? What seems to have the most impact? I mean, I personally, I think that like if you, you got to let people do what they're going to do, and, and I mean, then this is the way I think about it, and that is, you know, when it gets bad enough, there's not really much of another choice other than to change the way you live your life. And I know a lot of people don't want to sit by and watch people do things, but you know, I what I've found is that if if you're not really ready to change the way you're living your life, you know, uh, having a bunch of people come to you and tell you you should go to rehab and or you should go do this and you should do that usually steers people in the opposite direction. Hmm. Okay. I think 
Yeah, I mean, that's just from my personal experience with people that I've known. I mean, when you're ready to, to stop doing whatever it is you want to do, it's, it's a, you know, it's, you have to be the one making that decision. That makes sense. That makes sense. And and do you feel like since you have such a passion for, you know, for cooking and and, um, and that talent, too, do you think kind of that passion was the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of you wanted to get back into the kitchen in a, in a, a successful way? I, I think, yeah, I mean, I definitely had a, a goal at the end. You know, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I think that's really important, knowing where you want to end up. And I, I think that was definitely something that was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for real, especially now that I'm getting the attention from people, that I, I should probably, you know, fix my personal life. Yes. And and so what is um, your goal? I mean, what in terms of this book, and uh, everyone pick up a copy. I'm going to um, definitely provide a link on on this podcast, but it's called Nine Lives, A Chef's Journey from Chaos to Control. What what is your heartfelt hope that this book will convey to readers? I think, I think people, you know, as they read it, there's there's a little bit of surprise in it. I think uh, people, you know, uh, are, when you start reading it, you don't really realize how it's going to end until, you know, at the very, very end. And I think that kind of surprises some people. Um, I, what I want people to take away from it is that there's alternative ways to get to your goals. I, I wanted this book to be, you know, for the for the kids that like dropped out of school and never went to college and is washing dishes at a McDonald's because I mean that's pretty much the path that I went and I was still able to come out on the top at the end. And I think a lot of people give up at a certain point and, and blame a lot of their past for the reason that they can't do anything presently. And I really wanted to show that that's not the case. Wow, that that is a powerful message and and one of hope, and that there can be redemption in the kitchen. <laughs> and um, and speaking of the kitchen, goodness, we've got a lot to cover. But but one thing, is, and I don't know if your book has played any influence on this, but I just heard. Um, Goodness, it was announced last week that uh, there's going to be a new feature movie called Chef, and it's starring Bradley Cooper, and it's about um, a chef who had a drug addiction in in Paris. So <laughs> I did see that. Yeah, I uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think Bradley Cooper should be uh, calling you for a consultation there. And yeah, I think you should at least that. go buy my book, right, and read okay. it. See what it's um, really like. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And what was really interesting, Chef Brandon, is that um, the promo photo that I saw was Bradley Cooper holding this big fish. And, of course, the um, cover of your book is you staring, you know, and holding a fish (laughs) as well. So that that was ironic, too. But um, I I do have a question. What kind of fish are you holding on the cover of your book? And is there any symbolic (laughs) interpretation? Absolutely, there is. There really is. Um, you know, it's funny that you're the first person to ask me that, actually. Oh. After all these interviews for the past, like, month, you're the first person to ask. You know, it's, it's a red snapper. Oh. And if you read 
the book, there's a part that uh, kind of flashes back to me going on fishing trips with my grandmother and my mother, and that's what we actually used to fish for. Oh, oh, that's great. And would you um, have a special dish with red snapper that you prepare, prepare with your mom and grandma? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm doing a pop-up tonight here. Like, I'm in the kitchen, like, this whole interview. I've been cooking and preparing for it. Um, wow. We're... I'm doing a uh, red. I'm, I'm doing a, Minor, a Minorcan uh, fish stew or fish chowder, which is something very, very, very specifically regional to St. Augustine, Florida, and it's red snapper. And I've I basically I'm cooking tomatoes right now in a fireplace over wood, oh. and uh, it gets that some shellfish, red snapper, uh, the fish stock from the bones from the snapper, and and that's about it. It's a really, 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 really simple peasant food type dish that we're going to do for one of the courses tonight. Wow. And you know what? How is, you know, and I've never cooked fish that hasn't been filleted. I just, as my listeners know, I am the worst cook. <laughs> and it's <laughs> ironic, yes, I'm interviewing wonderful chefs such as yourself. But um, for those who do like to cook fish, um, is there a, an easy way to debone the fish? Do you have, like, a, a surefire method of doing that? It, it really depends on the fish, first off. You okay. know, the flat fish and round fish are totally different. There's only one way in my eyes to fillet a fish, and that's the way that, you know, you learn kind of in classical French cooking school or whatever. I mean, it's straight down the back. You follow the spine with the uh, the knife, and you mm-hmm. go all the way through the tail, and then when you come around the other side, people what the people have to understand is that they're, they're going through two sets of bones. So the spine is 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 all the way down, and that's what you use to guide your knife. The rib cage comes out and it curves, so you have to cut around that. And then I usually cut through all the pin bones and just pull them out with tweezers. Oh, okay. So have the tweezers on hand in the kitchen. Absolutely, <laughs> when yeah. When you're filleting. But okay, so the, the picture of you holding the fish on the front cover of your book, Nine Lives, The Chef's Journey from Chaos to Control, is a red snapper. And I love the the symbolism now and, and can appreciate can appreciate that. Um, and, and before we start talking about this wonderful culinary uh, concept uh, you've been bringing across the nation through Crux and your new um, restaurant opening, uh, I have some questions from some listeners that have come my way. They wanted me to be sure to ask you. Um, it mentioned, one, one listener asked that... Um, she said, some of your pairings are interesting and odd. <laughs> Chocolates with olives, uh, eggs and banana, peas and mint. What makes you put them together? Uh, I think, you know, it, it's usually kind of a singular uh, feeling for me when I taste something. I could tell you exactly what happened with the chocolate and olives was uh, I was just eating Spanish green olives, like manzanilla olives, and uh, I, I just they tasted like chocolate to me for some reason that day. They're, I don't know if what what I had eaten with them or anything, but for some reason the oil reminded me of cocoa butter. So we basically, I just on a whim made a dessert out of it, and it worked. Wow, <laughs> with olives, I just can't even. <laughs> it really, really works. But you know, it's only that one type of olive. It's not you can't. Go chocolate and black olives or calamatas or anything like that. It's the manzanilla or manzanilla uh, Spanish olives. 
Um, and they just taste really good with chocolate. That's, I mean, it's just, it's a weird, bitter, sweet thing. And then I use it as a dessert. I make sorbet out of the olive pits. Wow. And, uh, and then basically use all the flesh to make a puree with. And uh, sometimes I'll do a chocolate cake or sometimes I'll do cocoa nibs or sometimes if it's all ice and it's all things that are going to melt, I'll do chocolate bread so they can dunk it in it. It just depends. Uh, the egg and banana thing yeah. was due to, uh, we were doing an artist, a Chicagoan artist themed dinner. So you had to be considered basically an artist and from Chicago or currently living and working in Chicago. And one of the dishes was for Dave Eggers, the, uh, the writer. Yes, yes. Uh, so the dish was egg. So we did a whole <laughs> bunch of different textures of egg or different, like, you know, we did uh, trout roe, we did boiled egg. We did uh, uh, cured tuna roe. And then we made a banana leather, mostly for the texture and the sweetness would cut through all the salt from all the rows. Wow. Oh, that is great. Oh, I love that. And it's so ironic because Dave Eggers, I think he's the one with the um, Timothy McSweeney, is that right? That um, uh, little publication. And it's funny because uh, my Twitter name is at McSweeney and I get these these really funny oh, <laughs> articles. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I would love to to chat with uh, Dave Eggers sometime. That would be a fun <laughs> thing. <laughs> From one McSweeney to another. <laughs> oh, that's great. And it was an, another listener um, had uh, written in saying that they were very curious about your tobacco pudding infused with cigar leaves and asked what inspired you to create this and how did your clientele like it? I mean, I always wanted to do a dish with tobacco because, um, A, you know, I saw Fahrenheit. I could have done it when I was a little younger and I said, oh, that's cool. It seems like it could work. And then it kind of just reminded me of my grandfather. My grandfather grew up in Warsaw, North Carolina. He grew up on a tobacco farm. Ah. So... We, you know, I kind of, I kind of basically gained, for the better word, uh, the technique from Akats and just kind of played with it as a flavor profile. Where I kind of just turned it in, kind of like after dinner dessert thing. So we had scotch and cigar basically. Uh, so it was, it was, uh, we made like a scotch caramel and then we made a tobacco panna cotta. Tobacco panna cotta is good. It's not what I think people would think because it tastes like tobacco. It doesn't taste like smoke. You know? Oh, okay. Um, but it, but you can't do a flambe on a <laughs> no, no. no. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's it's spicy. It's spicy and sweet, and it has a lot of different characteristics to it. Every now and then, people you know like that aren't used to it, they you get a tickle in your throat almost when you eat it. Wow. Like you're smoking a cigar. It's a little strange. I quit doing it just because I haven't had any. Uh, I haven't had the need to do it. It's, I usually right. do it more in like the winter time. Okay. It's not really a summery <laughs> thing. So. <laughs> and I guess uh, maybe some baseball players would like that because yeah. you're used to chewing tobacco. So right. <laughs> that would be a great one. Well, I just can't wait to hear about uh, Crux, which is your concept to bring the co-op collective business model um, to, you know, the different food scenes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Crux and and how this began and, and a little bit about the tour ahead across the nation? It basically began as, you know, kind of like, uh, 
question is the best way to say it. Uh, like, I get my my middle finger to the way I like to my bosses in Chicago at the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> to, to like the restaurant owners and the people that you know, like it's just kind of basically to the negative parts of Chicago that were in my life at the time. I said, we don't need any of this. We don't need the space. We don't need anything. We don't need mm-hmm. money. I'll figure it out. We know how to cook. We can get into spaces. So me and my friends just started doing these dinners, these pop-up dinners, yeah. and we kind of put it under the name Krug. And since then, it's kind of taken a totally different turn to where it started as, like, me and these three other people, and we were all, you know, kind of co-chefs type things, and they all ended up flaking out and... It all ended up kind of like going and doing other things. So I just kept it going, but instead of just doing it in Chicago, I started to travel with it uh-huh. and work with chefs in other cities. And ever since, you know, we've kind of, it's borderline propaganda what we're doing with our logos and everything. And like, we don't even write crux on menus or anything really anymore. We just show our logo, our you, yeah. and people know that it's a collaborative dinner that's coming. We have 30 cities booked over the next two and a half months. Yeah. I'm actually leaving this Wednesday to go on tour with it. Wow. We're going, I'm setting off for Chicago to Miami, and obviously there are a lot of places in between these, but uh, Miami to L.A. to Vancouver to Montreal and back down through. We're pretty much hitting every city that's in between those. That is fascinating. And, and are things already preset with the chefs that will collaborate with you in these cities? Or is it just kind of a, you know, last-minute type of thing? And, and, and how can people, you know, foodies in those different states, uh, join in on the fun and actually uh, come and have the dinner? Um, well, so, you know, some of them, like, yeah, some of them are planned out ahead of time. You know, right now we only have the first three dinners planned. Oh, okay, great. So it's in Miami and Atlanta, um, where we're actually working on mini development. We've released ways to buy tickets, things like that. Okay. Um, and, you know, you can't really write 30 menus in one day with 30 different chefs. So no. we're kind of staggering <laughs> it out. So when I get to Atlanta, we'll start working on New Orleans and Houston and L.A., things like that, and it will, cause oh. it's all staggered, you know. I'm doing this all by car. I'm driving everywhere. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's going to take a long time. We're going to be out on the road for two and a half months. And you will really see the country with that, too. That oh, yeah. is so yeah. much fun. And, and tasting the different, you know, uh, just the, the different foods of the different locales, that should be a blast. And, and I know you already have a wonderful blog uh, on your brandonbaltfully.com, and, and listeners, I will definitely have a link to that, and, and it's, it's fascinating to, to read your blog, so hopefully you'll be um, uh, sharing more on, on your blog about your travels oh, and the dinners and everything. So Yeah, we'll, be, we'll definitely be keeping people posted as to what we're doing. Oh, wow. You know, with someone such as you, who you, you cook such exotic combinations and, and usual, using... Um, you know, like beef shoulder and duck and all these other exotic um, types of foods. What is your comfort food? Is it one of the exotic dishes that you make, or is it just something really simple? Oh, man, fried chicken. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's fried chicken. I like soup. I like, uh, I, 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 I do not eat like I cook. 
I, well, I rarely ever do. I actually, yeah, I never eat like I cook. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, I do when I'm cooking it, when I'm tasting it, and when I'm trying to dish. But and I do eat like that when I go out to eat. But when I'm at home, I you know it's it's fried chicken or roast chicken or braised pork butt or things like that. One pot meals. Oh, I love it. In fact, I grew up in Alabama, so I'm right there with oh, you nice. on, on fried chicken, and I've been trying to find a good place with fried okra in the Chicagoland area, so I don't know Ooh. if you have any uh, I don't know about recommendations fried okra. on your fried chicken. And, and where would you recommend uh, outside of your own kitchen that has the best fried chicken around? Oh, in, in the Midwest? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably around here. It'd have to be like Harold's or something, but... Okay. Um, I really like Union Pig and Chicken in Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. It's really, 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 really good. But then if you're going to make a drive, you might as well just go down to Tennessee and eat fried chicken right. in Memphis, get <laughs> hot chicken or something. And like, the barbecue down yeah, there and exactly. all that. <laughs> Illinois has got good barbecue and good stuff like that. It's just, you know, those are the things you have to go out and find. It's not really, it's not like a chain or anything. You know, you go down to the south side and that's where you find the good food. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We'll all have to venture out more. That sounds fun. But with Crux, how exciting that it's kind of a pop-up culinary concept where you're collectively working with other chefs and and coming up with a a menu at all these different locales. I mean, this sounds like it should be a reality show, you know, Yeah, (laughs) with people following you around. Right. The second half of it, I'm taking a journalist who's going to write uh, a little road trip story, I guess, if you will, about it. Oh, fun. So we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, I'm going to have my phone <laughs> and the computer, so we're going to talk things. Oh, good, with the whole social media. And, and, yeah. I, and I think Bradley Cooper should accompany you on that trip as well. Right, as preparation for his chef movie. Oh, that sounds great. Now, regarding your new restaurant, TMIP, um, when is that opening or has it opened in Michigan City? And um, if you can tell us a little bit about that concept as well. We're going to um, actually be moving people in on October 1st. Great. Um, but we won't be open to the public for quite some time. Uh, it might be, it'll probably be March of 2014. We'll be open, we'll be doing dinners, and we'll be, like, doing invite-only things and, mm-hmm. and friends and family for a while. But, you know, until, you, like, if you want to just, like, come in and reserve, it won't happen until March. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we'll look for that. And And what does TMIP mean? It's the uh, literal definition of the Latin word crux, which is the most important part. Oh, oh wow, okay, neat. Okay, so kind of it's, you're continuing the crux concept, but in one place and exactly. with, yes, and with the physical building, and, 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 and is it, it's on a farm. Can you tell us a little bit about this whole farm-to-table concept, and that seems like a, a bit of a switch in some of the other um, Oh goodness! Kind of scientific creations <laughs> that you might right, right. working on the Salvador Dali approach in the kitchen. <laughs> well, you know, I think that uh, there's definitely a, a place in the kitchen for for that those kinds of more sciencey techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, but I and, and we're still going to have those. But I, I wanted to 
kind of reconnect and, and, and kind of show at the restaurant, show the connection between the food you're eating and, and where it's from. I mean, we will we'll be using more than 95% of all of our own stuff. Wow. Um, it, it'll it'll be, uh, you know, we're going to raise our own animals, we're going to grow our own food, and if we have a bad tomato crop that year, then we don't get to use tomatoes that summer. Wow. It's basically like your very old-school European restaurant, but done in the Midwest, and we're kind of trying to take the approach of, like, you know, what is American food, and American food is going to be what we can grow and what we can use and what we uh, produce. Fascinating. Oh, this, this, yeah, this will really be so wonderful to have something like this, this, you know, culinary concept on the farm. So it literally right. goes from the farm to the table. Yeah. <laughs> so that within, that is going to be great. Within <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds just like a great thing. So I look forward to, to hearing more and following that. Meanwhile, you know, back to your book, Nine Lives, A Chef's Journey from Chaos to Control. How has the reception been um, from some of your former colleagues and, and people within the culinary community? Uh, I mean, everyone that I know that's read it liked it. Also, good, you know, good. the people that I've talked to or my friends and things like that. Yeah, um, good, good. I don't know. You know, there's been a couple people that come up and be like, oh, I'm going to get you. But uh, I I think, you know, I think, uh, I don't know. I didn't write it for my colleagues. I, yeah. I wrote it for, you know, people that have issues. So I, I think that... uh the reception overall, as far as my colleagues go, has been pretty good. Oh. I, the critical reception has been really good. Every review that we've yes. got we haven't oh. seen a bad review yet. Which is I'm great. I'm kind of waiting for the mm-hmm. big guns to come out at this point. Oh, well, the New York Journal of Books gave you a wonderful review. So right. that Yeah, so a lot of great press. And, I mean, is, in, in, in a way, is it... Um, I guess your way of reaching out because this is all about second chances and it's just so exciting to see the redemption that took place in the kitchen and, and that you're moving forward and you're just being a positive influence and inspiration to a lot of people who are facing those issues right now. And I, I just hope that, yeah, that it will be seen in such a positive light and, and that you are going to succeed and soar in and out of the kitchen with, with all the great projects that you're working on, Chef Brandon. Truly, congratulations. Thank you. Oh, and, and I'm just so delighted and honored that you were with us here today on on Kitchen Chat. Um, listeners, I'm going to, to leave a link for uh, BrandonBaltzley.com so you can Go there and also check out his book, Nine Lives, The Chef's Journey from Chaos to control, and um, I encourage those of you who are facing addiction right now uh, within yourself or you know friends and family that you will reach out for some help. And, um, you know, sometimes it's that conversation at the kitchen table among your family and and friends, and uh, just know that you're never alone in this, and there is redemption uh, available, and, and as Chef Brandon shows us through this conversation and, and in his book that, that there can be a second chance and you can succeed, and, and I bet it's hard work. I mean, is, is it a constant battle, Chef Brandon, even now? Oh, daily, yeah, every day. Wow. It's wow. hard every single day. It, I, I'm, not ever, I'm not, you know, 
a lot of people say, oh, it gets better. Um, and and I, uh, it, things do get better. Things in your life get better. But I mean, it's always there. I, I I I don't claim to be clean or sober anymore or anything like that. I I don't really subscribe to the whole uh, twelve steps way of uh, or their philosophy of how to live your life. But I do definitely go through issues every day still um, with you know it's it's a lot of things about just memories that you don't really get rid of that things that you've done and things that have happened right. and uh, you kind of have to live with that, but. Uh, it is really nice to not be, um, you know, being self-destructive and, and going out of my mind on cocaine and things like that now. Exactly, and I think it's so symbolic, even with your your um, recipe. I, I, I can't remember if we were talking about the olives and how you had crushed the pit and turned it into uh, <laughs> something else, and, and how symbolic that, yes, there the drug addiction was the pit of your life, yet you have <laughs> crushed that and have, you know, transformed that grit into such a moment of grace and um, <laughs> and delicious food as well, so. <laughs> so, everyone, I encourage you to get um, his new book, and I'll make sure I send a, uh, provide a link on the website as well. But thank you so much, Chef Brandon, for being on Kitchen Chat. It has just been a delight. Thanks for having me. Oh, and listeners, as you go through your busy day, please just take a moment and sit down and savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pearl Girls Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you, so join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.